five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is a special edition of the Space Q podcast. On Monday, May 13th, NASA contacted the media on short notice, late in the afternoon, saying a teleconference was being scheduled for the early evening. Scheduling a teleconference in the evening is not something NASA normally does. Whatever the substance of the call, it must be important. As it turns out, the call with media was to outline a budget amendment for the fiscal year 2020 budget to provide additional funds to the Trump administration's newly mandated plan for NASA to land U.S. astronauts on the moon in 2024 instead of 2028, which is what had been originally planned. The call with the details would, in of itself, be important. But at the end of the teleconference, after answering questions from the media, NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstein added a little something that would put the call into the NASA history books. Bridenstine announced that NASA had selected the name Artemis for the human return to the moon program. In Greek mythology, Artemis was the twin sister of Apollo and the name of NASA's famed 60s moon program, which saw humans land on the moon for the first time in 1969. Now, 50 years later, the Artemis program will be an international effort, though led by the U.S., that plans to create the infrastructure for a permanent moon base at the South Pole. Listen in. Altitude, velocity, light. Ten and down, two twenty feet. Fifteen forward. Eleven forward, coming down nicely, two hundred feet. Four and a half down, five and a half down. Within sixty feet, six and a half down, five and a half down. Nine forward. Good. Two twenty feet. Hundred feet, three and a half down, nine forward. Five percent. How many bites? Eight seventy-five feet. That's looking good. Down a half. Six forward. Sixty seconds. Lights on. Six. Down two and a half. Forward. Forward. Forty feet down, two and a half. Picking up some dust. Thirty feet, two and a half down. Great shadow. Four forward. Four forward, drifting to the right a little. Ready? Down a half. Thirty seconds. Forward. Just. Ready? Contact right. Okay, engine stop. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. 
Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you, Bob. Um, I'll be quick because I want to give everybody at the table an opportunity to uh, say a few things that are of interest to their particular uh, mission directorates. Um, and then we'll open it up for some questions and answer, answers, and then uh, I'll close it out. I'm anticipating this will take no, no more than 45 minutes. Um, first of all, as Bob said, NASA has been, we've been given a, a very bold charge to land the next man and the first woman on the lunar south pole by 2024, followed by a sustained presence uh, on and around the moon by 2028. Uh, the president, through this budget amendment, has extended his vote of confidence. Um, and this budget amendment is for FY 2020. It includes a $1.6 billion increase above the initial $21 billion budget request. Uh, and this, the purpose of the new $1.6 billion is to accelerate our return to the lunar surface. Uh, a couple of things that I think are important to note, that the $1.6 billion is not coming from, from inside NASA. Um, the Science Mission Directorate is kept whole. Uh, the International Space Station is kept whole. Um, and that is something we thought was very important to continue um, the, the direction that NASA has had and the direction that we have going forward. Um, this additional investment, I, I want to be clear, is a down payment on NASA's efforts to land humans on the moon by 2024. Uh, in the coming years, uh, we will need additional funds. But this, this is a good amount that gets us out of the gate uh, in a very strong fashion and sets us up for success in the future. Um, it is, it is a boost that uh, lets us move forward with design, development, and exploration. Uh, and the team is here to share some more specifics with you um, about what we're going to accomplish with this, with this new money. So um, Jim Moorhard, Deputy Administrator, over to you. Thanks, Jim. You know, my background is in budget, and I do think this is a really good budget amendment. And it really comes on top of a strong initial budget request, which, uh, as you all know, in many cases around government did not occur. Uh, the thing that uh, you think about, we're exploring the moon to help us create our future in space. So what does that mean? We're talking about maintaining our American leadership in space and really establishing a strategic presence. And you say that, I mean, you think of the amount of countries that are involved right now in space, whether it's India, the People's Republic of China, Europe, Canada, Japan, Israel, Russia. It, it, it is so important that we keep the strategic initiative going with our leadership. The second point I'd make is it, we're really going there to prove technologies and capabilities for future missions to Mars, and we're going to be using new business approaches to do it. Thirdly, we're really inspiring a new generation. I was, it was 1969, I was camping with my dad in a downpour listening to a radio when Armstrong landed on the moon. I've given that in speeches and I've had a woman, a woman uh, by the name of ba Bavia Lal and she, she emailed me and said, you know, 
I was just a baby. My father lived in Hardware, India. He took me out to the jungle where there were pythons and tigers and lifted me up and basically gave me a play-by-play of the moon of what was going on. He made it up. But she said, that was what I remember of my father. She went on to MIT and now is doing policy work in the United States for the United States. This is about inspiration, and we need to inspire a new generation. And lastly, I'd just say, you know, this is about growing our U.S. industry as well as working with our international partners. It's really an all-of-the-above approach. We're talking about, like, you know, the commercial folks, the international folks, our centers, our mission directorates, you know, the science community. Everybody is a winner here. I think I, I think I'll stop there, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to Bill Gersmar. Thanks, Jim. Again, this is a great budget for us. If, if you look at what we were doing before when we submitted our original budget, the things that were, were moved out a little bit was the actual hardware that actually takes us from the, the gateway down to the surface of the moon and then returns us back to the gateway. What this budget does is it moves all that forward, because if we're going to be there in 2024, we've got to spend roughly about a billion dollars in 2020 to get that activity moving forward. There's long lead items, there's hardware, there's pieces we need to move in place, and now is the time to go move. So this budget is really important and the fact that it gives us that additional funding, that additional billion dollars to really get started here in 2020 to make those timelines to get there by 2024. So that's really, really important. It just gives us clear funding to do that. You've seen some of our acquisition stuff that sits out there. It's ready to go move. Now we've got the funds. We've now got the dollars in this budget to go make that a reality. The other thing this budget does is it refocuses Gateway a little bit where Gateway was focused towards a, a little bit of a larger capability more than we need just for the landing. This focuses gateway back to the, just the initial components that are needed to, to land on the moon. So that frees up a little bit of money that we can move around. So when you add some of the numbers up that you'll see later, they'll add up to a little bit bigger number. That comes about because we've refocused some of the gateway activities. And then lastly, there's an additional funding in there for SLS and Orion. We realize those, those vehicles need to be there. They need to launch on a regular basis. They're the backbone. They'll be augmented by a lot of commercial launch that will actually carry some of the components up to the gateway, some of the lander components that can then be assembled at the gateway at our reusable outpost in space that we can use to go down to the surface of the moon. So there's about $651 million or so for SOS and Orion to make sure that they stay on track. So overall, all the pieces that we've got, all the hardware we need to do, all the money that we need to make that a reality, we got it in this budget. So this really is a down payment, just as Jim said. It gets us started on a really positive foot moving forward. It does the things that Jim talked about in terms of inspiration, leading us, showing us as a leader moving forward. This is a strong support from the administration. The, the HEO team is ready to go execute. We're ready to implement. We're ready to move forward. We look forward to talking to Congress and to talk to you about how we take this vision, this challenge, and make it a reality. Now I'll turn it over to Thomas, and he can talk to you from the science side. Thanks so much, Chuck Gerst. This budget amendment is consistent with the strategy that we used before, namely that science and human exploration move together and go together because we understand that there's incredible science that needs to be done and that we can do uh, at the moon ahead of the human return and also thereafter. This budget helps us get back to the lunar surface with an additional $90 million to enable robotic exploration in the lunar polar regions. That's where we want to land uh, with uh, the first woman. With 
with the next man. We know from remote sensing observations that there is water there, uh, but we want to learn about both the source processes but also how to get that water out of that regolith and use it uh, for exploration and for fuel as we go forward. There's many other science questions we want to ask about the moon itself. As you know, the moon is a young cousin to the Earth. They arose together. We can learn about the Earth from the moon. We also want to use the moon as a natural laboratory of how the solar system evolved. Many elements of the solar system can only be read, we believe, off the surface of the moon. And we want to use the moon as a platform to do science that is otherwise not achievable. For example, in the radio quiet regions at the far side of the moon during certain times of the year. There's incredible science to be done, and I really can't uh, wait uh, to get going on this. And I want to turn it over to Jim Reuter for on technology. Thank you, Thomas. Um, as we've seen really throughout history, it's technology that drives exploration. And so we're really pleased to be getting an additional $132 million for technologies in this amendment that support key precursor capabilities and demonstrations on the lunar surface. Um, this includes exploration technologies like solar electric propulsion, crowd fluid management, and also um, very much in concert with our science friends uh, with shared interests for demonstration converting power polar ice to water, which can help uh, validate that we have future resources to support exploration. And uh, we'll be looking at technologies to, to take that water and produce, uh, process it and produce uh, spacecraft propellant. We'll also look at technologies to extract oxygen from the soil. And, and we envision a, a, a scene where many rovers and robots can help us move around and explore a much broader portion of the surface of the moon. And ultimately then also, finally, also utilize uh, small spacecraft to enhance our capabilities around uh, the moon, such as um, communications with surface assets and deep space navigation techniques. And so to wrap up, I'll turn it over to Mark Strangelo. Thank you, Jim. Uh, we're really pleased with this this uh, rollout in this event, and I am here to, to wrap up the formal part of the talk. You know, it's more than just creating innovation and doing the things you've heard about for the last few minutes. It's also we need to look look through the way that we do business, the way we acquire, the way we look, work at uh, different projects. And as we do that, we need to focus in on innovation and speed and be efficient. And NASA has to change the way it does business as well as the way it looks at technology. And to achieve our goals, we, we're not going to go forward alone. We're going to look at different ways that we can partner, partner with our commercial partners, partner with our international partners and with our universities and all the elements that have made NASA strong over the years. Our, our efforts will include work at the NASA centers to provide key technologies and scientific payloads for the, you know, uh, for the lunar surface and already working on uh, projects that we have all across the country. Our international partners are going to remain a vital part of our exploration plan and will contribute to the goal of creating a sustainable presence all the way from the landing in 24 to continue through 28 and beyond. Uh, we're going to harness the way commercial industry has worked on innovation and do things historically that have only been done uh, at NASA. We're going to look at doing them in partnership with all our partners in commercial and international 
venues. Our company is currently re uh, working on resupplying the space station. We've had a very successful commercial program, and those, that program will soon launch American astronauts and American rockets from American soil. It's a capability we must never lose again as a country. This work takes place in every NASA center and now in every state as we connect with our universities and all the different partners throughout the United States. This stimulates the economies of these states, stimulates the economies in the United States, and creates a, a significant number of new jobs. As we move forward, we will transfer and grow this commercial model in low Earth orbit to the moon and bring a lot of the best of, that we've learned about in the last number of years in, the, in low Earth orbit and bring those technologies and that way of thinking to the moon. We'll partner with private industry to accelerate our human landing plan and develop the gateway as we send science and technology missions to the lunar surface. And with that, I'd like to turn it back over to Jim. So I guess um, we're open for questions and answers if, uh, if you guys have questions. Okay, operator, please. Thank you very much. We'll begin the question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star then one. Take a moment to unmute your phone and record your name and affiliation. You'll be announced by both. One moment, please, for our first request. Our first is from Eric Berger, Ars Technica. Sir, your line is open. I guess for the administrator, I'd ask if you talked at all with uh, Representative Jose Serrano about this plan during the amendment process and if you've got any feedback from him. Uh, we, we do have a, a, a call into his office. Um, I have not had the opportunity to talk to him at this point, but I've spent the day on the phone with a number of appropriators on both sides of the aisle, um, sharing with them kind of the, uh, the, the amendment. Um, a lot of people are out of town, uh, so it's been not easy to get a hold of everybody, but, um, but we've had a, a good number of conversations. Operator, next question. Our next is from Peter King, CBS News Radio. Your line is open, sir. Great. Thank you, and good evening uh, to you. And I'm not sure who gets this question, if it's uh, Administrator Bridenstine or maybe Gerst, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, commercial providers, commercial partnerships. Last week, of course, Jeff Bezos says his Blue Moon lander would be ready in about three years. Uh, I'm just wondering, is that at all under consideration to help give you a jump start? Because we know how much uh, of a long pole the, the lander is, they already seem to be ahead of the ball, uh, the ball game on this. Curious about your comments. Thank you. Yeah, you can go out and take a look. We put a synopsis out about two weeks ago, and it describes looking for an entire uh, system, a lander, a transfer vehicle, potentially an ascent vehicle. We put that synopsis out to get comments back from industry. We expect to have a lot of comments from a whole variety of uh, potential commercial companies that show interest. We look forward to receiving those. We'll take those. We'll turn those around and put out a proposal. We also have another procurement on the street that we receive comments back from a variety of companies to take a look at descent systems, transfer vehicles, and refueling systems. And again, we're looking at those. We'd like to kick off some of those studies in parallel while we're looking at this longer system moving forward. So I think you can see that uh, interest. I think it's too early to pick one company or one particular area, but I think we've got a tremendous uh, a chance to really utilize the breadth of commercial industry in a very creative, innovative way, as Mark talked about, Sir Angelo talked about earlier in this conversation. Ms. Bill, I can add to that. I think it's 
also, we, uh, you'll see the cadence of how we go about approaching this changing, that the synopsises are going out, there's a specific period of response. We're taking those responses and quickly turning them around into workable RFPs so that industry can begin that process to come back. And as part of that, we're also going to look at how we can expedite the contracting process and the decision process for, for those different RFPs. Operator, ready for the next question. Chris Davenport, Washington Post. Your line is open. Hey, thanks everyone for taking a minute. I really appreciate it. Um, quickly, if the money isn't coming from any NASA programs, where does it come from? It's a zero-sum game. And to follow on Eric Berger's question, uh, in your conversations with folks on the Hill, I mean, what has the reaction been? Have you gotten buy-in from them on this? So. Um, as far as where the money comes from, uh, what we have been briefed at NASA is specifically um, what our budget amendment will be. And to be clear, uh, we made very specific requests in order to get out of the gate um, so that we could have a successful attempt at a moon landing in 2024. Uh, they responded with what we requested, and so we're, we're very pleased with how that process went. As far as other programs that may be included in this budget amendment or um, where the money is coming from, we have not been briefed on what the total package is. Uh, certainly that will be on the Hill tonight, I would imagine, if not tomorrow morning. Um, and, and we will see it when the rest of the members of Congress see it. Okay, next question. Keith Cowing, nasawatch.com. Your line's open, sir. Hey, uh, question. This is a down payment, sort of like leasing a car. If you have a down payment, there's payments to the end. Can you tell me what the final cost of this program is and what the budget runout will be by each of the out years, uh, 21, 22, 23, 24, and maybe 25? I would, I would love to tell you that, Keith. Believe me. Um, we are working through that diligently here at, at NASA. Um, know this, that um, any development program such as this follows a very uh, standard bell curve, where the initial years um, are, are, are pretty low, and then they ramp up, and then they come back down to get to a sustainable kind of um, operations. So. Uh, the answer is uh, we expect in future years it will be more than the current $1.6 billion for 2020. We all know that. Um, and we are working uh, day in and day out to come up with what those numbers are for the future years. I do think it's important to emphasize that um, the $1.6 billion is a, is a good amount. It's the right number that we requested in order to, to have success coming out of the gate. So we're pleased with where we are, but there's a lot more work to do in the future. Operator, Our next question today. from Kenneth Chang of New York Times. Hi, thank you. Um, so administration, Administrator Biden's has said SLS is going to be the, the core of this going back to the moon. Right now, EM1 is scheduled for 2021. EM2 is 2023. It seems like to make the schedule, EM3 has to be the one that takes astronauts to the moon. Is this what, the, what is the notion of architecture for how the moon landing actually occurs? Yeah, so that, that's, that's a great question. Um, the, first of all, we, we have to have the gateway in the near rectilinear halo orbit 
Um, as Bill Gerstenmaier earlier said, the gateway is going to be minimized uh, for specifically the purpose of landing humans on the moon. That means we need a power and propulsion element and a mini or a small habitation module. We call it a utilization module. Um, once we have that gateway in place, uh, we can start aggregating at the gateway a landing system. That means we need a transfer uh, module that gets from the gateway down to low lunar orbit. We need a descent module to the surface of the moon and then an ascent module that gets you back to, back to gateway. We can aggregate that at the gateway uh, in 2024. Um, and then as you identified, the only way we're going to get humans to the surface of the moon is by launching them on SLS in an Orion crew capsule with a European service module. So that is an absolute absolutely critical piece of the architecture. It's important to note um, that that our our astronaut, the, fir the first one, EM-1, is an uncrewed launch uh, that will do a, a return. It will go around the moon and, and come back to the Earth. Uh, EM-2 um, will also go around the moon, this time crewed. And then EM-3, as you identified, that will take our crew to the gateway where it will dock, and ultimately the crew will transfer to the landing system to go down to the surface of the moon and then back to gateway. So all of those elements will be in place in the year 2024 to land the next man and the first woman on the on the surface of the moon. And I'll I'll turn it over to to Bill. Did I anything I missed in there? No, you you covered that exactly the way it's going to going to play out and the way we've planned it. So EM3 is the flight that will take the first woman and and man to the surface of the moon. So that so I think you're you're exactly right. EM3 is the is the the the, the key rocket that will take our humans to the gateway which will enable them to get to the surface of the moon. It is important to note and I can't stress this enough that this is an all of America approach. We need SLS, we need Orion, and we need the European Service Module. We also need Gateway, and we need to aggregate at the Gateway the landing system. That landing system has three elements, a transfer module, a descent module, and an ascent module. Each one of those modules will be launched with a commercial rocket. This, in order to achieve this in 2024, it requires everything that America has to offer in order to achieve the end state. And that's, that's the program we put together by necessity. Uh, and, and, and we're looking forward to working hard with members of Congress to, to make it a reality. And the only thing I would say is that this is kind of our approach, the three-piece that Jim talked about. We've asked industry to give us ideas about how they might want to put those pieces together. You might be able to get by with two. You might be able to get by with two and a half. Where you put the propulsion capability, where you put the propellant. You know, Our concept was a three-way Jim described, but there may be other concepts that we're actively seeking industry's ideas and thoughts of how they would package that, which commercial launch vehicles they would use to launch those pieces. It's a systems kind of design, and we're going to get the best ideas from industry, the best idea from, from our partners to go ahead and make this reality that allows us to do this in 24. And our goal is to put out the specifications and what we need to get done, and we'll be taking the responses in from our industry partners and the teams that they put together to decide the best way to do it. So one of the approaches that I think is very useful for us right now is that we're not going to come in with a predefined way to get there because there could be very interesting new ways for us to consider. So the idea is 
Um, I said three unique elements to get to the surface of the moon and back to Gateway. Uh, that, that may not be the case. Uh, if, if, if commercial industry wants to propose something else and we think it will work, uh, it's something to consider. <coughs> Operator? Thank you. Our next question is from Marina Corin, The Atlantic. Ma'am, your line is open. Hi, thanks for doing this. Uh, this is a question for the administrator. Um, I'd like to ask you about what might happen if the president is not reelected next year. Uh, space programs can outlast entire administrations, and the next one might decide not to keep this effort going. So what would you say to the NASA community right now about that possibility? How would you reassure them? So NASA has a history of, of seeing these, these starts and stops, and um, it is important for us to understand how important it is to get strong bipartisan support from the beginning. And, and, and we need that from the U.S. House of Representatives and from the U.S. Senate. Uh, it is also important to note that one of the reasons we are accelerating the program from our initial budget request, which had us landing on the moon in 2028, accelerating it to 2024, is because it retires political risk. Um, again, uh, there's, there's two types of risk. One type of risk is technical, and I am highly confident that NASA can do everything necessary to retire the technical risk. The other risk is political, which means, as you've identified, um, sometimes uh, budgets get changed as priorities change, as Congresses change, as, as, as budgets change, uh, as administrations change. Our goal here is to build a program that gets us to the moon as soon as possible that all of America can be proud of so that we can have sustained operations on the moon. I'm talking about multiple operations potentially all happening at the same time on the surface of the moon with landers and robots and rovers being controlled from Gateway. Um, this, is, this is the objective that we're trying to reach. And uh, the goal is to have the next man, the first woman, on the south pole of the moon in 2024 and sustainability by 2028. And I think, I think all of America could be proud of that, um, and that's, that's what we're working towards. Mark, did you have something? I just, uh, I would also probably add, Jim, that we're going to try to make this nonpartisan design from the start. Yes. And we're working very hard to do that. And part of that is to make sure that we reach out to show how this affects all of the United States and how it advances uh, science and technology. So the idea of doing this sooner is not something that's a partisan idea. It is really to get us into operation uh, much sooner, which allows us to start the process of sustainability, start the process of using science and advancing technology uh, much sooner. And we think if we build these coalitions from the start, we're going to be able to show whoever's in office, if there is a change, that it's a really valuable thing to continue. I think it's important to note that this project is bigger than, than any administration. It's also important to note um, that the president actually had the courage um, to make it happen in what could be his second term. Um, no president has done that in history. Um, where, where the end state, you could see it during his or her term as president. Uh, even John F. Kennedy back in the 1960s declared that it would be done by the end of the decade, which guaranteed he wouldn't be in office. Um, so this, I think this is the, the goal here is to retire as much political risk as possible to make this a sustainable program that all of America can be very proud of. Thank you. Lauren Grudge, 
Rush The Verge. Your line is open. Hi, thank you for doing this. Um, I was curious, and I'm sorry if I missed this, but uh, what about, uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion about spacesuits and money for that development. Uh, is that included in this budget amendment, and what are the plans for that? Yeah, it's not part of the amendment, but it was in our baseline budget. There's some funding in for suits, and we will definitely do a, a suit uh, procurement activity that supports our needs that we have for 2024. So you'll see more details of that come out as we go forward. But we'll definitely have suits for our crews in 2024. And the suits that we have in 2024 will enable our crew to step out of the spacecraft, to walk on the surface of the moon, to do meaningful work, and then go back to Gateway when they're done. Thank you. Operator? Bill Harwood, CBS News. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, for Gerst, um, can you give us – I'm curious about the lander phase again. Is this? Are you modeling this on, like, the commercial crew strategy in terms of commercial ops? Do you anticipate one company, and is that how the contract will be managed? And part of that question is when when do they when do you need a contract in place for lander hardware to make 2024 possible? Thanks. Yeah, we think we need. Uh, let's, let's kind of what we're thinking about is we're using the lessons we learned from the commercial cargo and commercial crew programs, and we're kind of fast forwarding those and, and figuring out new ways to put those together. And and we're looking at some broad agency announcement announcement kind of activities for this. That's what the synopsis is that's out there, and you can actually go look at the synopsis, and it describes what we're trying to acquire. I think we're looking at a way that we would do this, letting uh, commercial industry essentially make a lot of the trades and design pieces. At first, we thought we would look at the individual elements kind of being integrated and aggregated by NASA, but we think that slows us down. We think it's actually better to have that aggregated by the private sector. Then NASA will team with them, work with them, partner with them as we are on crew and cargo, and expedite that activity moving forward. Another thing that's important about this whole concept is we're building a lot of stuff with an open architecture, and we're using interoperability standards or, or standards that allow pieces to come together and play together and work together. So we don't tell folks how to design the hardware. We tell them the requirements that the hardware needs to, to meet, in other words, to dock. So the international docking standard is that first piece. There's three different designs being built by three different companies. All those different designs can actually interact and dock together. So what this does is this allows us to keep an open architecture so we can add new pieces. We might mix and match even descent elements with ascent elements, with transfer vehicles. This keeps a very, very open, re resilient, sustainable architecture moving forward. So we're building off of what we learned. We're taking the best practices. NASA will be involved with them. We'll help them. We'll, we'll move forward as we go do this activity. And the contracts will probably start as early as, as, as September, October of this year is, is our overall plan. And just to add on that, I think uh, one of the things that we want to highlight is that we're not waiting till 2024, that there is a, going to be a strong commercial effort in, in partnership with NASA to start doing precursor missions. The CLIPS program is going to be very uh, energized to be uh, to start learning about the lunar surface and be able to, uh, to start understanding it better so that when we do get there, we have a, a, great, a, a great view as to not only what we can do, but to make it much more effective. I think the other part of this is as we go through the gateway concept, that that gateway is going to be a, allow 
for multiple different designs to be able to interact with it. And part of the value of it is that it is a, a standard design place for organizations and companies and international partners to be able to think of designing too so that we have a, an ability for all those folks to be able to have a, a common constant. Thomas, do you want to add anything about the, the precursor missions? Well, we're excited about those uh, Eclipse missions that you mentioned. I mean, we uh, have uh, uh, there's, you know, received a lot of interest uh, within weeks and months. Of course, we're going to come uh, out with that. Uh, sh shortly thereafter, of course, we want to look at how we can interface with the, uh, uh, the strategy that you just heard from Gerson, from you, uh, Mark. You know, as we want to land near uh, the South Pole, uh, we want to use the same architecture overall that is uh, being developed for humans for our robots. So this is the kind of interfaces that we have in mind that we're looking for right now and that is in part covered by this amendment. So one of the things Thomas is talking about, because I know there's a lot of media on the phone that might not be your traditional space media. When, when we talk about CLIPS, we're talking about the Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program, the idea that NASA is looking to purchase a service to take small payloads to the surface of the moon to do science and discovery, uh, ultimately to inform our eventual human mission in 2024. Um, so when we talk about CLIPS, we're talking about commercial delivery of small payloads to the surface of the moon, so we acquire it by buying a service, not purchasing, owning, and operating all of the hardware. That was one of my first initiatives when I became the NASA administrator. It is also true that by doing this, on CLIPS specifically, again, small science payloads to the surface of the moon, we should be ready, willing, and able to accept some failure. Not every mission is going to be successful. Think of CLIPS as venture capital. It is low cost, high risk, but at the end of the day, one of the companies will be successful and the payoff will be huge. That's what we're trying to achieve with CLIPS. Thanks for bringing that up, Thomas. Operator, next question. Dan Vergano, BuzzFeed News. Your line is open. Thanks. Uh, I want to go back to the budget question. Uh, you said you don't have an out years number, but I'm wondering how you're going to ask uh, Congress to ex pay for a, a pig in a poke without knowing what they're making a down payment for. Is there a ceiling on what you would expect this to cost? The uh, number $8 billion has been thrown around in the last week or so. So I, I can tell you very clearly $8 billion is is uh, well above what is even being considered inside the agency, but we are looking at many various alternatives to achieve the end state, um, some of which will require um, more resources in the out years, um, some of which require less. The question is how much risk do we want to take? When I talk about risk, I'm not talking about risk to our astronauts. We will take, we, we will minimize in every circumstance risk to our astronauts. I'm talking about risk to the cost and risk to the schedule of the program. Um, and so this is, again, this is a down payment. This is, this is the first step that gets us out of the gate in a very strong way. Um, but in future years, we are going to need more money. We all understand that and we are working, we are working through um, we are working through what those out years will look like. Mark, uh, just Jim, to just clarify, that would be the eight billion is, is in a single year. That, yeah, that's correct. I, I've heard it, it was going to be eight billion a year for the next five years. It's it's nowhere near that much. All right. Next question. 
Marcia Smith, SpacePolicyOnline.com. Your line is open. Thanks so much. If uh, you said it, I didn't hear it. Uh, others had asked about the reaction from the Hill in your uh, discussion so far. So could you uh, repeat that if you said it earlier? And also, what is the reaction from the international partners about the descoping of Gateway in the early years? Uh, so the first question is, um, yes, I've had many conversations with members on the Hill on both, side of the, both sides of the aisle, both appropriators and authorizers. I think there's a lot of excitement on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, when the budget amendment comes out tomorrow, uh, we will see various reactions that people take publicly. But I, I will tell you, when we talk about what NASA is trying to achieve, uh, I will tell you there is a lot of excitement about achieving the end state of the next man and the first woman on the surface of the moon, on the South Pole, no less, in 2024. Um, the, the second question about international partners, um, there was concern initially uh, when people heard that we were accelerating the path to the moon, and people thought that that would mean that the gateway would be cut out. Well, in fact, the gateway is as important now as it was before. In fact, it's more important because it's the only way we're going to get to where we need to be in a sustainable manner. And so um, our international partners are aware of that, um, and, and we are moving forward with our international partners for the sustainability. Remember, the, the goal is 2024 landing on the moon and 2028 sustainable. And the international partners are absolutely critical to that sustainability piece of the program. Bill. And again, this budget kind of focuses on the NASA piece and what NASA is doing. So we are working on the gateway piece that really enables the 2024 landing. If the partners want to advance some of their stuff and come earlier with their modules, we can figure out a way to accommodate them. Gateway is flexible enough to allow them to come earlier. So it's kind of up to the partners to see how they can contribute, how they can participate in this plan. If they see science objectives around the moon or it helps with some of their robotics missions or the science mission directors want something or the technology folks want something, they're free to go ahead and advance those pieces of the gateway, put them on orbit, and we'll go ahead and accommodate them in gateway. So, so we're focused on the, the landing in 2024, but it doesn't preclude any partners from coming earlier, and whenever they're ready, we can put them in the gateway and move forward. And Marsha, it's Mark Sorangelo. I would also add to that that I think this is actually going to be seen in a positive light by the international partners, and part of that is that they're seeing a tangible, real commitment by the United States government and by NASA to move this program forward and, and being able to see that they're going to be able to make their own their own investment decisions because they're going to not be waiting for something to happen by 28. I would also add that I think it was always intended that they would be part of the long-term plan by 28 and that hasn't really changed. The, the, the gateway, we cannot, we cannot overemphasize how important the gateway is to this, nor can we overemphasize how important international partners are. The sustainability piece is, is critical. It's also critical that we have more access to more parts of the moon than ever before. We need the gateway to be maneuverable, which it will be. It will have solar electric propulsion. It will be able to get to the L1 point, the L2 point. We'll be able to deliver payloads all over the surface of the moon, uh, and that's an important capability that is part of, um, as what Jim Moorhard called, its strategic presence, and we need it. 
All right, we have about uh, five minutes left in the teleconference. A reminder uh, that information uh, about uh, today's uh, budget amendment is posted on nasa.gov slash budget. And, of course, if you'd stay on the line following this teleconference, the operator will provide additional information for replay. So, operator, we're ready for the next question. Our next is from Joey Roulette of Reuters. Your line is open. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, these questions are for Bridenstine. Um, you obviously have a lot of support coming from the White House. Uh, would you have liked to ask for more funding in 2020? And if not, why? And um, also, although you may not have been told specifically by OMB on where the money comes from, do you have any idea where it comes from by other means? And does that involve uh, the reduction in any Pell grants or anything like that? Thanks. Uh, so, the, to your first question, um, we we told the the White House and we told OMB how much money it would take in the year 2020 to get us out of the gate for uh, a landing on the moon in 2024. They responded with what we requested, and we we're very proud of that. Um, and they did not take any money away from science. And they did not take any money away from the International Space Station, which are that 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 is a critically important thing to remember. Um, as far as where the where the money is coming from, that is above my pay grade. I have I have heard rumors, um, primarily by reading tweets of people that are on this phone, <laughs> but uh, but I I have not been formally briefed and nobody has told me. Um, my focus has been on what NASA needs. That's what I have shared and that's what I have received in return. And we're very grateful. And I'll tell you why. Historically. Um, when you cut certain parts of NASA to fund other parts of NASA, it either results in partisan fights or it results in parochial fights, where you have certain states, you know, at arms against other states. Well, in this particular case, um, we've, we've achieved what NASA asked for, which is a plus up, and we're grateful for that. Great. Operator, we have time for two more questions. Thank you. Our next, Christopher Wanjek of Live Science. Your line is open. Yeah, thank you, and I'll stop spreading those rumors for your Twitter. Um, so my question is um, why humans uh, might be needed for this. If a long-term goal is sustainability on the moon and setting up infrastructure and such, it seems that uh, one approach could be to send that infrastructure and start mapping out places to stay before the humans even get there. So I'm going to uh, start first. Of course, others will chime in. I really do believe that human and robotic exploration go together when it comes to new destinations. Uh, one is about asking questions and answering questions that we actually couldn't even dream of before we went there. I mean, we're celebrating Apollo. Some of the science that was done there still has not been surpassed, even now, even though we learn a lot of robotics. The other human exploration is about increasing the realm in which we live and think in. And so for me, both go together and uh, they go hand in hand. Exploration unites if we do it the right way, like is proposed here. And I think what's really intriguing is we have a chance through this commercial landed payload services thing where Thomas is going to have a bunch of very interesting robotic instruments land on the moon in a variety of different locations. 
we can use those instruments to help scout out and figure out which is the most complex geology, which is the most complex science that actually needs a human there to interact with that, with that geology and to interact with that science to bring back and advance the knowledge in the most rapid way we can doing forward. So by Thomas going first with the robots, paving the way to find those areas that are too complex for a single instrument or multiple instruments to look at that really need the human, the gateway enables us to go to any one of those locations, go down with humans, and then really um, interrogate that region and get, grab that raw science out in a way that can be used by science that advances our knowledge about the Earth and the solar system and other activities. I would add just one other thing to that, and that is that in between our human visits to the moon, we will be able to continue to receive the data, the robotic activities that are going on, the sensors that we place will provide a constant stream of information that allows us to continue to inform each of the subsequent missions and allows us to continue to do real science as we uh, have our visits uh, spaced out. And I'll just say, too, um, that really we, what, a part of what we do, a large part of what we do is inspire. And, and really introducing the human element is a big part of inspiring our new next generation as well as enabling technology. That was, that was Jim Ryder with the uh, Space Technology Mission Director. Thank you. Um, one thing I'd also add, uh, why, why do we go to the moon at all? Well, because we want to go to Mars. We want to put humans on the surface of Mars. In order to do that, we need to learn how to live and work on another world. The moon is a three-day journey home. So if something goes wrong, we know we can make it home. We proved that with Apollo 13. When you talk about Mars, Mars and Earth are on the same side of the sun once every 26 months. So when we go to Mars, we have to be willing and able to live and work on another world for a couple of years. So that's, that's why the moon is so valuable. It's why it's so important to use it as a proving ground so that we can eventually take our missions to Mars. Operator, last question, and then we've got some closing remarks from the administrator. Thank you. Our last now is from Alan Boyle of GeekWire. Your line is open. Wow. Um, uh, there, there seems to be a gap between 2024 and 2028. Have you given any thought to uh, what happens between having that one shot and having the sustainable era? And is it going to be two astronauts? Are you aiming to send two astronauts down to the surface, as was the case for Apollo? That's all I have. Well, I'll, I will just start with the gap between 2024 and 2028. Remember what we're trying to achieve. We need to get... We need to get the program um, to the surface of the moon as soon as possible. Then we need sustainability by 2028. So in 2024, not every element of the architecture is going to be reusable. Um, and and maybe, maybe I could be proven wrong on that. I don't know. Uh, we, we have some great partners that are interested in proving that they can do this in a sustainable way from, from, from day one, in other words, 2024. But remember, the, the first goal is, is the accelerated path to the moon by 2024 with sustainability by 2028. So if there are elements that are not reusable, I'm talking about the landing system, then the goal would be that by 2028 they would be reusable for a sustainable lunar architecture. Um, 
Yeah, and again, I think we start seeing a cadence of flights after 2024 that, that continue all the way through 2028 and beyond. And what's, what's really unique is with Gateway, we now have a re reusability aspect that where we can have potentially multiple landers docked at the Gateway at the same time. So in our, in our old model, we didn't have any ability to have any redundancy. Now we can have redundancy by having two different landers essentially docked at Gateway at the same time. So then even the criticality of the number of people we take to the surface of the moon now can be done a different way. You could have a, a craft that takes two people, which we'll probably do in 2024, just to minimize the amount of logistics and supplies we need to pre-position for that mission. But then we can easily add another lander with two people. Now we can have four folks, and now we have some redundancy in our transportation systems back and forth. So this new way of doing business, where things are now reusable, we have open standards, the way we move forward, this sustainability aspect is radically different. We talk about going forward to the moon. We're, we're not going back the way we did before. We're actually going in a very different way that takes advantage of technology, takes advantage of open architecture, takes advantage of, of the commercial sector and international partners to, to allow us to go do this activity. So you'll see a series of flights um, in that period between 24 and 28. I think that, that key there uh, that Gers mentioned, the open architecture piece, meaning that if any private company or any international partner around the world wanted to integrate into, into the gateway, wanted to integrate into our sustainable return to the moon, they can build a lander. They could build a lander that carries humans. They could build a lander that just integrates with the gateway, the robots, rovers, landers. Uh, we want this to be open architecture. When I talk about people say, what does that mean? I'm talking about the way we do docking, the way we do data, the way we do avionics. Um, so all of these pieces, the way we do life support, all of these pieces would be would be interoperable, published on the internet for anybody who wanted to uh, to participate in our sustainable return to the moon. Jim, did you have any additional closing thoughts before we close? Well, I do. Uh, last closing thought, number one, thank you, everybody, for participating in this. Um, people have been very patient as we worked through this process. We're finally there. We're very proud of, of where we are as an agency. Um, we're very grateful that the administration was willing to support us with additional funds um, and, in fact, do it without taking funds from other parts of the agency. The first time humanity went to the moon, it was under the name Apollo. The Apollo program forever changed history, and I know all of us here in this room and on the phone are very proud of the Apollo program. It turns out that Apollo had a twin sister, Artemis. She happens to be the goddess of the moon. Our astronaut office is very diverse and highly qualified. I think it is very beautiful that 50 years after Apollo, the Artemis program will carry the next man and the first woman to the moon. I have a daughter who is 11 years old, and I want her to be able to see herself in the same role that the next women that go to the moon see themselves in today. This is really a beautiful moment in American history, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. So thank you for joining us today. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. 
If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.